Hello and welcome to the Instructional Insider. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Pittman, Instructional Designer and Curriculum Specialist at the beautiful North Carolina School of Science and Math in Morganton. We are here today on a beautiful day, but it is slightly chilly on our campus. And it has been a super busy week. We've had all kinds of things happening outside of the classroom. And I know our students have been really busy and our instructors have been really busy. Um, and like I always wanna highlight what things I'm seeing in the classroom, even though there's amazing things happening all the time on our campus. So let's go ahead and I want to introduce you today to my new co-host. I have joining with me two of our brand new first class that's ever walked the floor of these halls. I have two of our juniors here today. I'm gonna to let them introduce themselves. So go ahead. Hi, I'm Sophie Miller. Hello, my name is Neha George. All right, and I'm so excited they're here. And they're gonna offer a different perspective. So I always offer a perspective of what I see as the curriculum specialist of what I see good from an instructional standpoint. And they're gonna share what they have enjoyed in their classrooms from a student standpoint. I'm curious if it's the same thing or if it's something that's different. And I told them not to share. So <laughs> they're having to think right now. Are y'all ready when I, when I say go, are you ready? Possibly. Possibly, maybe. maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I have complete faith that they've got this. All right, so let me tell you what I saw this week. So I'm just going to say one of my favorite things that I saw was in American Studies last week and a little bit of this week, we were starting Hometown Walkabout. Now, Hometown Walkabout is a joint partnership with our American Studies instructors and the local industrial commons and they work together and collaborate and built this curriculum that really highlights what's happening or what's happened historically in Burke County um you know with different culture groups and just the history in general um across the many decades of um, our beautiful campus and um, this county so i really enjoyed watching the American Studies classes, dig into the content and the history. Um, but I didn't get to go and go on the tour, and I hope to do that next year whenever they offer it to the faculty and staff. So one thing I loved was the um, American Studies um, hometown walkabout. I loved that there was guest speakers. I loved that it was authentic and it was real. Um, it wasn't just something you were reading about in a textbook that happened, you know, to someone else. So I absolutely loved the American Studies Hometown Walkabout. Um, let's see, something else I saw this week that I really enjoyed. I had not been into the introduction to robotics class in a couple of weeks. I don't know why I usually catch that class in action a lot, but I had not got to go in there a whole lot for some reason. And I was surprised at how different introduction of robotics was this semester compared to last semester. Did y'all have introduction to robotics? Did y'all take no. it? Actually, no. No. Okay. Well, yeah. I, it was neat to get to watch it from first semester introduction to second semester and how, you know, Mr. Hilton's got new toys. I'm not going to call them toys. I guess they're tools technology, <laughs> new toys to implement. So, it was interesting to see how he had modified the class and, and made it different from first semester to second semester. Um, they had programmed, if you remember on the podcast, they had been 
working with what they called baby bots and they were super cute, but they were really basic and they've learned how to program them to do a lot more things. Like now they have, you know, the claw machines when you go like the claw machines yeah. to me, it looks like they have like a claw hand on there now <laughs> and they have them programmed where they um, go up a ramp and they grab a hold of a ball and then they have to go and place the ball in a certain spot and they have to program it. I don't know how to do that. I tried <laughs> to take Python. I don't know very much about it. How are y'all on Python? Y'all love Python? Um, well, we're taking data science right yeah. now. So we're kind of learning Python very of, slowly. Yeah. So um, it's not anyway. too bad. <laughs> not too bad. It's a it's it's a new experience for mm -hmm. me, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. So I really enjoyed how um, introduction to robotics was definitely a different perspective this semester. Um, so those are my two highlights from an instructor standpoint. And I'm going to be honest, I have not been on campus much the past two weeks. I've been in a lot of trainings. I've been in Durham. So I've not got to go into classrooms a lot. And plus schedules have been different with um, all the things that's been happening out of the classroom. So who wants to share first from us, from your perspective, your favorite thing or things that happen in the class? Um, so I quite like the groups, group discussions that we have in um, American Studies. Uh, I have uh, Miss, Mr. Zimmerman and Mrs. Cantwell. Right. And so um, at least like, I'm pretty sure at least once every class we have these group discussions about what we've observed over um, certain readings. And um, it's just like a lot of different people, obviously they have different ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. And um, so when you're explaining it and when they're explaining it, um, your eyes are opened up to a new perspective mm -hmm. and you just like gain a much deeper understanding of it. So right. I think that's really cool. I've been in there a lot and I've talked about them on the podcast quite a bit. And I really enjoy how um, you have the small group discussions on your text, but mm -hmm. then you also have the big group discussions too. Mm -hmm. Which do you like better? Do you like the whole group or the little groups? Or um, I think I like the whole group ones better. Why? I don't think I have like any reason. It's just like a feeling. I, okay. I like, just I like the, the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I mm -hmm. really enjoy listening to the different perspectives and, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Or, you know, I might zone in or zoom in on a specific text that you might look at mm -hmm. another and getting to see those different perspectives and viewpoints. So excellent. All right. What about you? Yeah, I also really enjoy the group discussions in American Studies, but um, specifically today during AP Biology, um, Mr. Collins, which was, um, he was my previous instructor for the first half of AP Biology last mm -hmm. semester, mm -hmm. came in to help refresh us on the first um, couple of units that we had done like a long time ago right. so that we're starting to prepare for the AP exam in only you know a few days a few days yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so he brought in like a whole worksheet to go through and like interacted with the class with the whiteboard and like wrote down what we said and asked us questions and we worked through like Miss Smith my current teacher provided us with other worksheets and things and we looked at like an actual FRQ and we worked through it, mm -hmm. looked at the rubric and then graded like other students. Oh. So it was all kinds of interactive things. Gotcha. Which, so yeah. um, were y'all expecting Mr. Collins to come in like that? Did y'all know? 
Um, not the way that he came in. He actually kind of burst in the room and said, sorry, I'm late, which was kind of scary. We're not going to lie. We were all startled, but, um, great to see him again. Yeah. Don't get to see him all that much because he's always busy. Um, like but... we all are. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> so what, from your perspective, like, obviously we're both great biology instructors, was mm -hmm. it just, you know, good to see him bring it back from what you originally heard to what you've just learned like what made because that from a teaching perspective we call that team teaching or co-teaching like your american studies class when you have two teachers working like it sounds like you know they probably planned that mm -hmm. uh, co-teaching experience just then so what about that did you like or what helped you it was kind of nice to see them like switching off between each other so like they'd miss smith would say something about like the previous units mm -hmm. and then it would like tie back in with the um like even older units that mr collins was teaching right so they both have like very different styles too because mr collins uses the whiteboard a lot more uh -huh. but miss smith uses like the um smart board right. and like i guess that's what it's called yeah um, <laughs> touch, yeah. yeah yeah and like google slides or whatever yeah um so it was actually really nice to just have a refresh of like a different style of teaching even yeah. so like even if it was different material it was also a different way of absorbing the material because it's been a while yeah mm -hmm. i love that i love that they came and, and blended their two different styles um which is why i always loved co-teaching because it's like my students got the best of what i could do and what the best of what my co-teaching partner was able to do and it's like you got this like perfect blend of mm -hmm. the best of both of us exactly um and I don't know if Miss Smith and Mr. Collins did this but they, did they kind of like play off each other like build off what each other were saying it was a bit more contained into the two different sections <laughs> okay. of the class period okay. but I could definitely see them doing that yeah. and I think as we move forward they might interact even more so as like the units get closer and closer together with content and like applications that's pretty cool so <laughs> anything else y'all want to share from that you remember from a class that was empowered or like powerful or memorable or something you enjoyed? Um, I'm not sure if this really counts because it's not like even a class. Um, it was like today's, today's Tuesday, right? It's Tuesday. Right. Okay. <laughs> it was a long Monday. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, the events of Monday were like really interesting to me. Um, I was in room one with Miss Kentwell. Um, now and... you've got to tell them what Monday was. Oh, oh right, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, my bad. So Monday was the research symposium where um, a lot of our fellow students um, presented um, their their research or their like project proposals to us, um, and they had a a lot of really cool ideas. Yeah. Um, so in the room I was in, there was um, Mana, there was Jocelyn and um, Adithi. And um, I was I was really interested by their topics. So um, Mana's was British colonialism and its impact on South Indian medicine. This was with Miss Cantwell, wasn't it? I yeah. remember seeing this <laughs> list, yes, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, and um, Jocelyn did Spanish colonialism in the Philippines, uh -huh. and Aditi did British colonialism and its impact on the caste system in India. Um, so, obviously, I have I have always been really interested in the topic of British colonialism because um, 
it's part of my country's history. Right. So um, sitting there and listening to their um, their research and what they have done, looked into it, mm-hmm. was like just really interesting to me. And I just I just loved that event. So did now even though that event itself wasn't in our mm-hmm. classroom, yeah. All of these studies and research were driven from our our a regular classroom yeah. so it, it it absolutely fits in this mm-hmm. was just kind of like a big event to um kind of showcase what they had been doing so did seeing their research kind of um maybe motivate you that you might want to pursue something like this for next year yeah excellent mm-hmm. which is a great thing seeing <laughs> other people do it is probably one of the next like it's a good motivator to make you want to do Definitely. it too. Yeah. They'll probably have like 10 more people that want to help us podcast next time. So. <laughs> All right. So educators, think about this. These ladies have shared with us what was an impact to them. Seeing the big showcase, seeing other students like highlighting what they do, seeing co-teaching, even if it was impromptu or planned, they liked seeing that. And then the group discussions, having that student discourse is very powerful. So I, I brought my perspective, but I think y'all's perspective is much more powerful than mine. Did y'all see any similarities? Did we talk about any of the same things? Lots of discussion, because it's engaging. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We Depend- call, in, in the teaching world, we call that academic student discourse. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is a teaching um, protocol, um, and it's very powerful, mm-hmm. very powerful. So. Um, I hope that you are going to enjoy our guest um, interview today. It is a city engineer for the city of Morganton. Um, And he highlights, which goes very much along with what we did in our uh, research, say the word for me, symposium, Symposium. (laughs) that word does not want to come out of my mouth. Okay. (laughs) And his job is very similar to that because the research um, symposium, did I say that right? Close, close. Say it for me. Research (laughs) symposium. Thank you. Was all about interdisciplinary and Mm -hmm. how we can't just silo and say, I'm going to do math all my life or I'm going to do literature all my life. It's a very much a blend of all kinds of different um, skill sets and and departments Mm -hmm. and And that was the really neat thing about when I interviewed Mario at the city of Morganton um, was how well that engineering team works as just a huge interdisciplinary um, from all different perspectives, from civil engineering to um, environmental to the math department, how they use trig. It was really fascinating to see all those different components um, in his line of work. So I hope that you enjoyed hearing from my two co-host today, and I hope that you enjoy our interview today with Mario. All right, today with me, I have Mario with the city of Morganton. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. All right, Mario, can you tell me what your job title is? And obviously I said you work for the city of Morganton, but what department do you work for? So I am the city engineer for the city of Morganton, and I work in the development and design department. Okay, so your job title is city engineering. City engineering. How? I mean, we've been walking around, and I've seen lots of engineers. So, what all types of engineering are here in the city of Morganton? So, actually, um, 
we have an electrical department that's separate that has their own electrical engineer. But okay. as far as the city engineer group, we work with several different departments. We work with the water and um, sewer department. We work with public works as far as the streets, um, stormwater piping, um, et cetera, with them. Um, we, we work with uh, parks and recs, and it depends on what project is being driven at the time. Right. So are all of y'all under the civil engineering department? We, yeah, you could say we're, we're okay. basically civil engineering. Okay. All right. All right. So tell me what your story is. How did you get to the city of Morganton as the city engineer? All right. So I'm, I'm going to work this backwards. Okay. So I've been here four years. And before I was here, I lived in Virginia, Newport News, Virginia, which is near Williamsburg and Virginia Beach. Right. And I worked for Newport News Shipbuilding, which builds the aircraft carriers and the submarines for the Navy. Mm. And I worked there for 39 and a half years and, and was able to retire and, and come to the city of Morganton. Right. Um, what attracted me to come here was uh, the wife and I loved Southern Appalachia. We wanted to uh, build a house out that had mountain views right. and have a little bit of acreage, which we were able to do. So that's what drove us to come to this area. Um, my 39 and a half years at Newport New Shipbuild and I went straight out of high school into a trade, which is called Millwright which you are a machinist and a mechanic. And um, what attracted me to that was my senior year of high school, I took some wood shop and architectural drawing. Right. And then I found out about this program where you can learn a trade and get paid at the same time. Mm. So for an example, we would go out to a machine in the shipyard and it might have a broken shaft. We take it apart and we find out the shaft failed we would take that back to the machine shop we had and we would actually make that part right. and then we'd go back and put it back together. Right. So it was very different um, A to Z. It wasn't make a thousand of these bolts. Right, it's very um, custom. Yeah, so it's very different kind of aspects there. And working there, um, worked sometimes to engineer drawings out in the field and sometimes, you know, I said, well, I got to make this correction. This isn't going to work. You send it back to the engineer. They look at it. They bless it. They say, yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. And then I started talking, you know, to them about the kind of salaries they made, <laughs> which made me very interested. So I decided at that time to go back part time and try to get my engineering degree, which right. I did. It took me, took, took me 10 years. And uh, that opened several different avenues for me uh, as far as my shipyard career. Um, I moved up in ranks as when I was going to school in the industrial wastewater mm -hmm. and uh, I had responsibility for a metal wastewater plant and an oily wastewater plant right. that were waste that were produced, um, you know, in our fabricating the ships and the submarines, but also because environmental regulations were coming along. These plants were built in the 80s. Mm -hmm. I was there basically in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, by the end of the 90s, I got my degree and I moved on to facility engineering where I got to work on a lot of really neat, unique projects of taking, for an example, a conveyor belt system that would take um, I-beams, flat bar, every type of structural steel and would blast it to Navy specs and put a special coating on it and bake it. And then it would just, on a conveyor system, go into the shop next right. where it would be bent or drilled holes in and all part of the fabrication of our product. Um, in facilities engineering, I also got involved with environmental 
more environmental compliance. Right. I'm assuming being near the water, that would have been a big... Yes. We were the biggest... We had the biggest permit for um, stormwater in the state. Okay. So, did a lot of unique, interesting projects on that. Um, ended up going over to the environmental compliance group for, for my last decade there at the shipyard. And one of the funniest stories is when I got over there, they took me over there because of all my industrial wastewater experience. But um, they asked me to be the backup for the air permit guy. Mm. And we had a foundry, we had a powerhouse, we had several sources of air emissions. And the individual who was mentoring me was very knowledgeable. And he said, the first thing I'm going to do is send you to smoke school. So I said, okay. He hmm. said, you're going to learn about the opacity monitors, all yeah. the stacks and so forth. So I thought, wow, you know, I'm going to learn a lot of new yeah. technology and everything. So I go over to this class. It was a one-day class. And in the morning, you know, they do the history of the EPA and why we monitor uh, air stacks as far as air pollution right. and so forth. And that afternoon, we, we had to go meet out at this field, this rec recreation field. And these individuals had, it looked like uh, they were going to be cooking barbecue. <laughs> but what it was is they were emitting smoke into the atmosphere. And we had to do a test where we had to guess the opacity of that smoke, huh. white smoke and black smoke. Right. And you had to get an 80 to get to your pass. certification. And that's actually how they used to monitor stacks you were your eye was calibrated wow and every six months you'd have to go out to the foundry talk about the technology yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. so i was a little bit shocked uh, about that but that that's how it works so really you started what we would call now a cte background and then you kind of rolled into more of the you went back and got your degree Correct. like it was it wasn't something that was initially in your main in your brain that Hey, I want to be an engineer. With that, that's great. And in math, for some reason, it always come easy to me. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been the type of person I like to see the application, the real world part right. of it, which frustrated a lot of my professors, I think. Right. But um, I was one of the older people in the class, of course. Right. But um, yeah, so when, in Virginia, I, I decided to pursue, you had to have four years under a PE to go get your professional engineer's license. Right. And um, that's why I went to facilities engineering. And okay. then I was able to acquire my Virginia professional engineer license in 2003. And when I saw this job come up that my wife found for me, <laughs> um, I pursued getting my North Carolina professional okay. engineer's license. So I, I'm a professional engineer in both states. Okay, awesome. So we've talked a lot before we came in here really about what this department does. And I'm fascinated at all the interdisciplinary interaction that happens between you as the city engineer, but how you work with the environmental components when you're talking about, you know, um, water and land and just making sure things are in compliance and protecting all the natural resources and beauty. So, um, so tell me about, it can be, you can say you or the city or your engineering department. How do y'all use STEM regularly? So science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Well, so one thing that I'm really close and I guess I kind of taken the lead on and I've learned here in the last four years is, is Morgantons and watersheds. Mm. And so your watersheds are basically, you know, your rain hits your surface and it drains down and it goes to the Catawba River maybe or right. it goes to Silver Creek. Right. Um, so depending where you're at, for an example, we have a water treatment plant for our city water and the intake for that water comes from the Catawba River. Right. 
So that half mile upstream from that intake is the most restrictive watershed we have in the city. And, and what you look at in your ordinance is if someone wants to come in and develop in that area, they can only um, build so much impervious area. So if you're taking a field and you want to put a, a townhouse development or if you want to put a McDonald's or whatever right. there, um, once you get over 24% built upon area is for impervious, you, if you go above that, then you have to provide a stormwater control device, for an example, a wet pond, or they call it bioretention. So there's several right. of these that are, are um, on the state website. Right. And what that basically does is that development, they call it pre-development, your stormwater was running off in this direction on this corner of the lot at this velocity and this quantity. Mm -hmm. When you're finished with your post-development, everything's done, it has to be the same. Right. So you're not, you're not damaging downstream right. of, of what's going on as far as the environment. And, you know, the Catawba River, which runs through the city, has a state-designated 50-foot riparian buffer, which means the top of bank on each side of that river, you're not to touch at okay. all, no matter what. So you're dealing with a, a lot of state laws and then even stuff that's in our ordinance, right. uh, which has some minimum meet the state law or could be more restrictive. Right, so you work very closely with the environmental agencies. Locally. I do, I do. I, I do deal with them very closely on developments that come that um, if I have a question, I shoot them an email and get a response, make sure I'm looking at their ordinance, their law correctly, as far as our ordinance cor correctly also, right. on what kind of device can be used. Um, there, so there's, uh, on the state agency, on their, on their website, there's several minimum design criteria for mm -hmm. different devices. And these devices, once they're proven by a PE that they're functioning and designed correctly, every year they're supposed to be examined again to make sure they're still operating right. to the initial design. Right. And those reports come to me in the city right. that I will keep. So when the state audits us, they will see that we are maintaining the, the infrastructure that we have in the city as far as wet ponds, bioretention cells, right. et cetera. Okay. So environmental, absolutely. What about, um, talk to me about the math that's involved in civil engineering. Okay. So um, a lot of like, I guess you would say the simpler stuff, and, and we say simpler, but it's everyday life. You're driving down the road, and that road could be a city road. That road could be a state-owned road. But underneath that road, that soil has a certain bearing strength, a load that it can take. Mm. Um, and then you, you add gravel, which you compact to a certain, certain um, percentage. Right. And that has a bearing strength on it, so a load. Like if you're going to have heavy truck traffic on right. it. Right. And then how much asphalt you put in there and the type of asphalt mix. And um, that's so every day you go down the road and, and hopefully you're not hitting potholes, etc. Right. <laughs> but also underneath that that you do not see is your sewer system your city water system. And if a developer wants to develop a, a, a piece of land and it's gonna require city water, they're gonna to come to our group and they're gonna say, hey, can you give us the pressure readings at the closest fire hydrants? And they do their calculations. For right. That. For an example, are you building a four-story hotel? Right. Are you just building a house, you know, or a McDonald's, like I said before, uh, they all have different requirements. Um, if it's an industry, 
fire water because mm. they have to get insurance. They need a sprinkler system, right? Um, stuff like that. And then in the sewer world, also the capacity. Do we have the capacity to take what you're going to discharge? And um, as far as the math, there's minimum and maximum slopes for pipes. Mm. Um, in, in, in the, in, which is a state law, but it also has an engineering behind it because you want to make sure everything flows through there and gets down to the plant for treatment. Right. And so you have to work with that. And you might be in a very flat area um, or you might be in a very um, sharp slope area, steep hill, and you have a minimum maximum velocity that you're designing to for right. the system. So you got to change the slope of your pipes. Gotcha. Also, in, in practicality, you don't want a real deep system because when it, for example, do you want a sewer pipe that's four feet deep when you have to repair it? Or yeah. do you want a sewer pipe that's 40 feet deep? Wow, yeah. You know, just the safety and the expense of having to go and repair that, you got to consider all those things. That's a good point. Um, I know when we talked about earlier, y'all were showing me this nice little robot and we talked about how it uses trigonometry. Can you explain that, Annie? Because that's one of those far-fetched things that... You know, we think, well, when would I ever want to use trigonometry? I could do that. I could give you my version of it on a higher <laughs> level. We do have a certified land surveyor and a, a CAD designer in our group, and they are very proficient with it. But my understanding is that the robot is constantly Wi-Fi taking readings of what the state is sending out, which are benchmarks on elevations in different areas. And so you're getting your, if you want to say your X, Y, and your Z component, when you're um, doing a project out in the field, when you're trying to locate something or, or set the topography of that land right. uh, of what you want to put there. So it's constantly reading off these signals that the state sends out um, versus the old surveying equipment where you would have to set up your scope and you'd have a rod, which would give you your Z, your elevation, you'd go to a benchmark and right. you know that benchmark, for example, in, in the city of Morganton, where usually about a thousand foot to 1200 feet right um above sea level right and uh mean high water or whatever they they broadcast that off of uh you to go to a physical benchmark and you would get that elevation reading and then the guy with the rod mm. would walk over to the place you're interested in and, and he'd set the rod over there and the guy with the scope would read over there and see that elevation from right. that distance and then you can once you get a couple shots you can use your trigonometry to figure wow. out where you're going to be here and there. But if you want a real in-depth explanation, I'm going to have to... I need to interview him you next need, time. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So my next lead-in is technology. How has technology changed your job? And as we've walked around, you just mentioned about how different the surveying component is. Yes. As we've walked around the building, I have seen the old engineering is it grafting tables drafting drafting tables, tables. Correct, correct. and you know they're not really used like they used to be so correct. how has technology changed engineering in the last several years i'd, I'd say you can do a, definitely a, a lot more things faster. faster i mean when you think cad drawing when i went through my um my apprenticeship i was drafting on a drafting table yeah um and when i went back to school um i was my engineering field, I didn't have to go back and, and, and take CAD drawing. I didn't have to go into automated. So I, I really don't have a lot of expertise in that. But when you think about it, when you're drawing by hand or if you make a mistake and you, whether you, and if you're doing it electronically on the computer and all the 3D stuff that's there, 
because before when you were drawing, you were really not getting the 3D aspect yeah. to it as yeah. easily. So there's a lot of computation stuff in there, but the, the reality of it is you have to have enough experience to know that that makes sense. Does yeah. that outcome make sense? And an example I'll give you, so just easily using Excel, the guys here, when I got here, they said, oh, we want a, we want a uh, Excel for um, sewer pipes where you can put in the diameter, mm -hmm. put in the slope, mm -hmm. and it will calculate your capacity at half full for, right. for um, your average take. And then you have peak flow, which is the other half of your pipe right. for, for water infiltration and, and other stuff. And so I, I just went and took some formulas out of, um, out of the book and <laughs> I, I set up this calculation spreadsheet Excel thing for the guys to use. And, yeah. and then I went back and I found some charts online where they can compare it to see that, yeah, it is right, it is right. accurate, it does work, it does make sense. So doing the old school version of the design element, really, you need a little bit of that in order to understand whether or not your, you know, the... Your output the, is... Is, is accurate. Yeah, yeah. Some, somewhat accurate. And, and do you need to go back and look at that to make sure yeah. is something off or not? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, I think in all career society, technology has definitely sped us up and made us faster. And really, it can make us more accurate. But we do have to have that right. good concrete understanding of, is this accurate? Right. Does that output make sense? Yeah. And, and, and the global positioning um, survey equipment that we just purchased a few years ago is extremely accurate. It's yeah. more accurate than the old way we used to do right. it. Right. And a lot of times, I guess when you can, you could say when you take the human element out of it, it gets more accurate. Right. Yeah. Because usually it's uh, human error that makes the mistakes. That's correct. So this this is my surprise question to ask you. Okay. And you can say, Morgan, I have no clue. I can't answer that. <laughs> So in the educational field, and really not just education, but in the last year, there's been a huge shift, and some people might even call it a problem, of artificial intelligence and the way it started changing our world. Has artificial intelligence and AI made an impact in your role yet? No. Not I mean, yet. I could say no. No, absolutely not yet here. Not yet. Okay. I know I've, I've watched some video footage of how they are starting to use AI and drones and things to really do quicker surveys and things. So that might be something that's... Well, we are actually, we, as far as our watershed, um, we also have a permit, which is, is a, they call it an MS4 permit phase two. And that's with the state DEQ. And we have a stormwater management plan. And part of that is we are supposed to go out to all our stormwater outfalls. Mm -hmm. So you figure some of the bigger ones that are at the river. Mm -hmm. And we need to look at them during a dry spell to make sure there's no fluid coming out of them. Because if, if it hasn't been raining, nothing should be coming out of right. them. If something is coming out of them, then we have a, a program where we sample it and we try to find out what's going on. You right. know? Is it an industry or is it, you know, someone in a residential areas hook something in there or what have you? Right. So um, one thought there is that we could actually do that inspection with drones. Yeah. 
so we could fly through there during the winter time where you could see right. better into the uh, shrub and, and trees and so forth and see the outfalls and and so that's one aspect we're thinking about yeah. using drones. i saw this one and this has nothing to do with this type of engineering but it was uh like a in um insurance companies and they were using drones and ai to survey roof damage yes. from hail yes. damage and it would you know the drone would use it but then its artificial intelligence program was built in to read where any potential hail damage was done so right. i'm curious how that changes the field of engineering over the next several years, like it's starting to change yeah. everywhere else. And I have heard drones used to go up on roofs and locations you mm -hmm. don't want to put people on to right. do yeah. an inspection to see what's going on yeah. and so forth. Yeah. yeah. All right. So my final question that I always ask is, obviously we know that your job requires a ton of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. What other skill sets are important if someone is interested in going into engineering, civil engineering, as a career? So civil engineering to me is extremely broad. Mm -hmm. um, you could be structural, you could be hydraulics, you could be environmental. Um, and I, the, I guess the really what I learned is you can't be a specialist in everything. Mm -hmm. So it's really communication and teamwork. I, I have an excellent group of people up here. Um, we have, like I said, a certified land surveyor, a, a designer um, that's awesome, a project manager, um, system engineers, you would call them, or system technicians who, who know the water system, know the sewer system, where right. the weaknesses are, where we're close to capacity and, and what we can do, and because they've been here for so long. So I rely heavily on that, on bringing all those aspects together right. as a team and to discuss issues as a team to determine what's the best avenue, what's the best way to go That's good. on a project. So y'all can't go silo. Y'all, I love y'all's workspace here. It's kind of a collaborative space where everybody has little cubicles, but it's very open where if someone in one department needs to talk to another department, they can get to them fairly easy. So you can't go silo in your department. You've got to have that communication and in education, we use the word interdisciplinary approach. Correct, and the experience. There's a ton of experience up here, mm -hmm. and that makes a, a real difference. And, and communication isn't only internal, it's external. We deal with North Carolina DOT, Department of Transportation. We deal with North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. North Carolina School of Science and Math. <laughs> so we have a lot of different aspects of, of you gotta communicate and work things out. And there's a lot of little, we, we are involved with legal a lot as far as easements on mm -hmm. property to run utilities, mm -hmm. which an easement, basically you're gonna have a surveyor come out there and say, we need, the, need this 25 uh, foot strip of land to run our sewer through and you can't build any structures on it. So right. it isn't, you know, it's, it's unusable land to someone who wants to build a structure on it, but for us, it's to maintain our system and we can get in there and make repairs. Right, so communication, so networking, yes, all of those. Yes. All right, well, I appreciate so much. I've enjoyed visiting this beautiful historic building, very similar to our own that's been revitalized. It's beautiful and I've enjoyed meeting everyone in y'all's department. I look forward to interviewing other people in here and getting back in touch with you. So Sounds thank you great. so much. Thank you.